The first thing is save up a year of expenses. It gives you breathing room. Financial runway is what I call it. It's it's a year of flexibility. And I think that's the way to start for the average middle-class American earning $50,000 a year with little to no wealth, because what are they going to do? They're already probably optimized on the income front. You're probably already earning the most salary that you can at your current job. If you weren't, you might go look for another job if if your goal is to achieve financial freedom. But it's like most people, I think, are moderately close to being maxed out on the income front. On the investing front, if you're starting with zero, by definition, you have nothing to invest. So how are you going to invest or generate returns? <laughs> Even if you generate great returns, if you're generating great returns on a dollar, it's not meaningful. If you're generating great returns on $10,000, it's not meaningful. Generating great returns begins to matter, I think, when you cross that $100,000 net worth mark or a million dollar net worth mark. That's that's when, it, that's when in, focusing on investing is probably more powerful than earning more income, right? Welcome, everyone, to episode 11 of the Paul and Pals podcast. I'm your host, Ponyboy Paul. And Paul and Pals is a podcast where I interview my creative pals to learn how they became who they are today to inspire you for tomorrow. On episode 11, I have a creative conversation with my pal, Scott Trench. Scott is the CEO slash president of BiggerPockets, a platform dedicated to real estate investing education. He is also the co-host of the BiggerPockets Money podcast and the author of the best-selling book, Set for Life. In this episode, Scott talks about how he ended up getting hired at BiggerPockets, why house hacking might be for you, and the first thing that you need to do today to change your financial future for tomorrow. Huh, sounds familiar. But without any further ado, let's get creative. Let's get creative. Hey, everybody. Hey, how you doing, Scott? I am doing great. Thanks for inviting me to be here. No problem, man. No problem. How you living, bro? How you living? I am. Uh, I, I'm living pretty well. I think life is good. Excited, That's you know. Good. It's it's always fun. Lots of lots of big changes. Coronavirus seems to be. Eh, it's it's horrible. 2020 is horrible. <laughs> but let's yeah, <laughs> making yeah. the most of it. You know. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying, man. So yeah, let's start there. How how has COVID been treating you? You know, how have you living? How's life been different? You know. Yeah, well, I would, you know, when it first hit, I think uh, I panicked and bought a million groceries uh, and all that kind of stuff. So probably okay. among the worst of those. Were you, were you one but, of the people that bought the uh, the toilet paper? You know, I didn't buy a lot of you, toilet paper, but you I can bought admit a lot of to it. food. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. No, and then I and then I promptly gained the COVID nineteen. Then I finally bought some gym equipment and lost it. I actually got in pretty good shape. So kind of like a big pendulum effect there for okay. me with COVID. So I feel like I'm the opposite. <laughs> like I, I was still motivated to start working out and I was going at it. And then it hit like, I don't know, four or five months into COVID. I'm just like, dang. Like I'm just, I just went back to like regular. So it has been a very interesting time. But, you know, the show is not about COVID. It's about yourself, Mr. Scott Trench. And before I let you tell us your story, I want to talk about how we met or how we know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actually known about you since my senior year of um, college at the University of Michigan. And I, it was my last semester where I had like just one extra semester. So I graduated in winter and a friend had referred me to Choose FI, which is another podcast dedicated to financial independence. They had interviewed you and I really liked your story. And I remember I, I bought your book like that day. So this is 2017. Sounds like I owe you a beer. Yeah, you definitely do. (laughs) (laughs) And that book has such an impact on my life in terms of just 
getting my mind right about financial ind- education, financial independence, because uh, that was my first time learning about that stuff. So once I, I saw that, I read it, I just became a fan of Bigger Pockets of, of you, and I just kind of kept uh, on the lookout. But how I actually got you on the show today is a friend of mine, shout out Josh and Zoe, I think he's actually in the chat. Um, I was looking on your LinkedIn one day and I saw him as a mutual and I'm like, yo, like, you know him? Like, I would love to interview him. And he texted you that day and it was, and that's how we got here. So I, I really appreciate you for coming on. Appreciate you for being so willing. Um, but where do you want to start your story? Do you want to start just when you were growing up? Like, where are you from? Let's, let's start right there. Yeah, sure. And, and shout out to Josh. You know, we had a great catch up. I had uh, talked to him in a couple of years. He's a very successful entrepreneur, it sounds like, with up yeah. like, to some really cool things. I think he's mm-hmm. on. Um, uh, so I grew up in a, a suburb between Baltimore and Washington, D.C., uh, kind of like upper middle class household, I'd say. Um, sports were kind of like the defining thing for me as a kid. Um, so I don't know how how interesting or helpful my my background will be as a, as a kid, <laughs> but feel free to dive in as much as you'd like there I, I, okay. about that. But maybe the story for me really gets started uh, in late college and right after graduation, I would say. And where'd, you go to, and where'd you go to college? I went to Vanderbilt University. So I was on the, uh, I was captain of the rugby club and uh, very active in a fraternity. So you can, you can tell where my priorities were uh, <laughs> in college, college there. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So let's, let's start late college. Um, uh, give us, give us a scenario, give us the setting. How's, how's everything going for you? Yeah. So, you know, college, I started out, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to major in or anything like that. I was probably kind of torn between it. I started with an engineering, you know, exploring engineering. I explored pre-med, I explored a bunch of different other things. And, um, you know, I, I, I took a couple of internships. One of the internships that was pivotal for me was I got a, a really prestigious internship studying, doing cancer research at Johns Hopkins University between uh, sophomore and junior year of college. That's a really good setup for a medical degree, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to go to med school. Yeah. And I hated it. I was like, I was like, I really wanted to like be part of the cure to cancer, but I found that it was really tedious. <laughs> There's like, you, you test a drug on some cells or whatever, and you change the protein secretion of what of 180,000. Pro- it's like very difficult to make progress on there. Although it's good work. And so I immediately kind of changed course from there and became a finance economic. I, I ended up majoring in economics and history and minoring in finance and corporate strategy. And from there, I got a degree or I, I, I went into the world of, of corporate finance following. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So it looks like a lot of people have kind of had the same similar where they tried something and they hated it and they just had this big pivot, right? Mm-hmm. So when you dive into that corporate finance world, was it like, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Or was it more like, I got to graduate. This is okay. I don't hate it. Let me just go with it. Well, actually, I got a job. I got an internship at a, a Dish Network uh, between my junior and senior year of college. And they offered me a job in finance after that. So I, I, my job was something around like marketing collateral and like Radio Shack. And I think okay. my, my, my suggestion to them after managing that was, you probably should stop sending items or trying to market it all at Radio Shack because nobody's there. <laughs> <laughs> so so my, yeah. my, my boss who, in marketing at the time, I don't think was super thrilled with that. I don't think she gave, maybe, I don't know how much attention I was being paid, but when I w- got up and presented to the finance team at the end of the, the at the end of the summer, I was like, yeah. hey, you should probably cut my boss's budget, just not do this anymore. 
Uh, I did not get an offer to work oh, full time from the marketing department. I got an offer from the finance uh, department. <laughs> so I, I went into finance uh, at Dish, and within a couple of months, uh, you know, before I did that, I graduated and I blew all the remaining savings I had on a trip to Europe with a couple of buddies. Um, uh, and uh, that was a blast. I had a great time. I spent like probably four or five weeks in Europe, backpacking nice. around and yeah, staying yeah. in hostels, exhausted, but had a lot of fun. Um, anyways, so I start my career in late 2013 at Dish Network. And within a couple of months, there's a couple of things that spurred me to, real, to, to, under, to discover, I guess, for myself, this concept of financial independence. Mm-hmm. I became, within three months, I think I kind of discovered, hey, I'm going to be here for 30 years if I follow the track of the corporate ladder. I'm going to move from this cubicle to that cubicle with the higher walls to that one with the big walls to that office and then mm. to finally to the corner office if I do it really, really well. <laughs> so if I'm, if I'm the best, I could be CFO at this company over a 25-year period. And that was not very appealing to me from a career trajectory standpoint. I also uh, became demotivated after getting a lot of praise for performance but maybe not getting the raise I had hoped for mm. or kind of that I thought would correlate with that. And so I started studying. I was like, how do I become a better financial analyst so I can figure this out at a, at a, a better clip? And instead of discovering that, well, well in, in the process of searching for that, I discovered the concept of personal finance generally. And mm. I couldn't tell you what initial thing sparked the rabbit hole, but what definitely got me going was this or what I definitely remember it being very powerful was this blog called Mr. Money Mustache. Yep. So I don't know if everyone's ever, anyone's ever heard of that, but that's a uh, was probably the Kickstarter to my journey. This guy is a really a, a zealot about um, personal finance and frugality. He it's about achieving financial freedom through badassity. So mm-hmm. you know he talks about how do you get your lifestyle expenses down to like thirty twenty five thousand dollars a year and just invest and plow the rest into investments, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I became infatuated with that and started saving as much as I possibly could, probably at the end of 2013, about four or five, six months into starting my job. The, uh, the other part, thing that really was exciting for me was I discovered bigger pockets at the same time. So one of the things that a lot of the buy community or these bloggers on personal finance preach is index fund investing. Well, for me, that was a little slow. I, I, I said, okay, great. If I, if I save really hard and become very, very frugal... I'm going to be able to reach financial dependence within a 10, 20 year period. Well, I was like, I don't, I don't want to be here for 10 years doing this. I want to, <laughs> really I want to be, I want to be yeah, financially free <laughs> much sooner than that. Right. And yeah. so for, then it became a mathematical game for me. And I was like, okay, great. To be financially free, it's an equation. It's how much passive income can I create and how much is my lifestyle expense cost? Right. And I had read the four hour work week, rich dad, poor dad. Mr. Money Mustache, and I discovered bigger pockets. And real estate became a really powerful lever for me in my mind because my biggest expense was housing, right? That was like a third of my overall housing expense. And my, and if I could eliminate that or produce passive income or do at the same time, that was a really powerful concept. So bigger pockets introduced me to this concept called house hacking, where you buy an investment property, live in one part of it, rent out the other parts, and the rental income covers your mortgage expense. And for me, that was the light bulb moment. I was like, boom, if I can do that, wow, my expenses are going to go from two, $3,000 a month to like $1,000 a month. And that's mm-hmm. even with me blowing a lot of money on Natty Light at the time. You know, <laughs> uh, and, and weekends out, right? Drink, yeah. and, and so, you know, uh, that's even with me spending a lot of money having fun. 
I'm, I'm gonna, I, I can't spend if I house hack, live for free, and bike to work. I just, there's just no possible way to do it. So that was financial freedom to me. And so I did it. That's what I did. At the end of, over the course of 2014, I made two big changes in my life. One, I bought a duplex and uh, house hacked it. And the other was I joined Bigger Pockets as an employee. So I joined the st- uh, startup. Uh, and I want to break that down too, because uh, you said that was 2014. How old are you right now? I'm 30 now. I just turned 30 in uh, September. Or September 1st, oh, two weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. I'm, I'm <laughs> on September 8th. Shout out, shout out September people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to ask, because uh, uh, you mentioned it, it, it stuck out to me. So you, you said the moment you joined that job, you were like, oh, I don't want to be here for 30 years. I got to figure this, this stuff out, right? So I'm, I'm curious, when you were going through college or maybe like prior to, or maybe when you first had your first serious internship, was this whole financial concept not on your mind at all? Or was it more like you were just already bought into that? I'm just going to work for 30 years and do it. Like what made you like, what exactly was it about that first job that were like, oh, I got to, I got to figure something else out? Um, I would say I thought, I guess when I, it wasn't um, at the the first moment, of course, but it was mm-hmm. probably within a couple of months after, after the job. I, I don't know what it was. I, Maybe it's like a, a, I didn't want to be controlled. Maybe it was I didn't want to, I didn't feel like, why, why does this person, she, she was very nice, my manager, but why does this person have <laughs> control to this level over my life? Why is that, why is that the, the deal here? Why am I not in control? How do, I, how do I put myself in a position where I'm, I'm the one dictating the terms of my life in every capacity, right? Um, so maybe it, was, it was probably a, a combination of all of those things. Okay, so, gotcha. Okay, I just want to clarify, because I think everybody kind of, I went through the same thing where I'm like, I knew what a work was. I had interned before. I kind of knew what everybody was doing, but I don't know what it is about actually starting full time. Like those days you start to realize, like, dang, like, mm-hmm. this is a long time. So it's good that, you know, everybody can relate to that. And then I also want to get to the point, I want to break down house hacking. But before that, uh, you mentioned Bigger Pockets, which you are currently the CEO slash president of. But at that time, 2014, it already existed, right? Yep. So you you kind of break down what Bigger Pockets is and like maybe the history of it. Sure. So Bigger Pockets is a uh, real estate investing educational website and networking community, right? So what the premise is: real estate investing is risky, and it's also a really powerful way to build wealth, right? That's accessible to you know anybody who can save up for a home payment can also buy rental property or invest, right? You, I just talked about house hacking. Um, so it's a powerful tool for uh, America's middle and maybe upper middle class to invest in and, and build wealth and achieve financial freedom. But the entry point, the, the price of entry into real estate investing is a out maybe a several hundred hours long self educational grind. I don't yeah. know, right? And it's and it's it's a self study, right? And so what Bigger Pockets provides is you can listen to our podcasts or read books or browse our forums or attend networking events in your local community or read blog posts or uh, watch videos, whatever format is best for you, just consuming content and hearing the stories of other investors, how they succeeded, what worked for them, what didn't. And over time, developing enough mental models and comfort with real estate investing to feel ready to actually buy it for yourself. So that's, I think, what we, what we do and what, what really got me going. Why I was a big fan before I ever joined the company as an employee, um, uh, because that's what I did. I just dove in for several hundred hours listening to real estate investing educational content. Uh, and that kind of prepped me to buy my first house hack, change my life before I ever joined. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to highlight that for uh, one, two reasons is 
uh, one, I want to thank you once again. You're going to be actually giving that uh, a bigger pockets uh, pro one year pro membership. Uh, so I would appreciate you for doing that because I think it's a very beneficial oh, yeah. resource for anybody that's interested in real estate or just really wants to dive in, but they don't know where to start. I would also recommend bigger pockets. And I think it's also because I think the idea of bigger pockets is a very, I don't know, almost very altruistic in that when you think about any person that has wealth, any person that we see that's successful or they're, they're living at a, you know, the, how we want to live. I feel like real estate is a, almost a part of everybody's portfolio. So like, I feel like if you're not, if you don't have that, you're kind of behind. So I think bigger pockets is doing a great job of trying to bring in, you know, as much people as they can. So um, I really think that was, that was really dope. So speaking about them, how did you actually get involved and, you know, start working there? Yeah. So I started listening to the podcast and learning about real estate investing, joining the community, those types of things. And one of the pieces of advice that we gave out at the time and still give out is go network with local real estate investors and meet up with them. So I joined a mastermind group that I had no business joining at the time. I was like 24. And these guys were all serial entrepreneurs in real estate own multiple properties or whatever. But they let me tag along. And I'm very grateful for that. And I had a, I had a blast. I learned. I, I showed up every Thursday at seven o'clock in the morning to this guy's house and we talked business and I learned and, and, and took them all out to lunch and met them one by one. In the process of meeting these guys, one of these guys, they worked at a co-working space. At that same co-working space was Josh Dorkin, founder of Bigger Pockets. So I banged on his door, introduced myself. He told me to go away a few times. And then finally, <laughs> uh, I was able to kind of invite him out for lunch. He declined, but he invited me to come in for an, an interview to interview as his director of operations. And when you're director of operations at a three-person firm, that means you just do all of the crap that the founder doesn't <laughs> want to do. <laughs> so that was how I joined okay. Bigger Pockets as a as a third employee there back in 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So there's only two of them, just him, just him, just and, uh... him and Brandon. Yep. Okay. Wow. That's there are other crazy. people. There are other people who have been associated with the business longer than me in the form of contract, you know, as contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but maybe fifth or sixth person. To be gotcha. still here with you know associated with bigger pockets that wasn't yeah yeah that's really dope and then were, was that I mean obviously you you kind of said he kind of said no and then he, he finally said yes was that just more of a persistence thing like how would you recommend going about that that's like a very a lot of confidence to do that well I, I wasn't looking for a job at the time necessarily I was I was there saying oh my gosh this guy changed my life I'm going to be investing in real estate regardless I think I offered to work for free for him I said dude. Can I, can I like moderate your forums or something that would be helpful to you? And I, I couldn't even see at the time what opportunity that would present itself, but I just knew bigger pockets was a special business and brand that I wanted to be a part of. And uh, I figured there would be opportunities to network or meet people that came with that. So that turned into a, a job offer, um, un, you know, that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Okay. That's cool. Okay. As though, okay, so now that we kind of broken down the bigger pockets, I kind of want to touch on the other raffle prize you'll be giving away, a copy of your best-selling book, Set for Life, which, like I said before, changed my life heavily. So what, was that uh, kind of like happening throughout all this, or what made you even want to write a book, and what made you feel like you could write the book? Yeah, so the the book, I, I think that there's a lot of wealth-building books out there that are, you know, kind of like... Money 101 or um, really mindset driven. Here's the mindset of of becoming wealthy and those types of things. But I thought, hey, there's like none of this is practical. None of this is a step by step guide on actually improving my position. And so 
I was I was like, what what is the problem? The problem is a median fifty thousand dollar a year household income earning American with average an average expense profile. How does that person become wealthy in a reasonable period of time? And I was like. That was my goal. That was where I started. I started making $48,000 a year. Now, that's a, that's a pretty solid salary for someone just out of college as an individual, but it's a median income. And like I, was, I, was, I said, what is the step-by-step approach to doing that? And so my, my approach was this. The first thing is save up a year of expenses, right? And what does a year of expenses do? It gives you breathing room. Financial runway is what I call it. It's, it's a year of flexibility. With a year of expenses, 25, for me, that was $25,000. Oh, by the way, a year of expenses, saving up a year of expenses is a combination of two things. It's how much your expenses are. Uh, the lower you have your expenses, the more you save and the less cash you need to sustain a year of Living. spending, right? And you're, okay. and you're spending. So um, savings is the first part of that. I just ground down my savings. And I think that's the way to start for the average middle-class American earning $50,000 a year with little to no wealth, because what are they going to do? They're already probably optimized on the income front. You're probably already earning the most salary that you can at your current job. If you weren't, you might go look for another job if if your goal is to achieve financial freedom. But it's like most people, I think, are moderately close to being maxed out on the income front. Yeah. On the investing front, if you're starting with zero, by definition, you have nothing to invest. So how are you going to invest and generate returns? <laughs> Even if you generate great returns, if you're generating yeah. great returns on a dollar, it's not meaningful. If you're generating great returns on $10,000, it's not meaningful. Generating great returns begins to matter, I think, when you cross that $100,000 net worth mark or a million dollar net worth mark. That's, that's when, it, that's when in focusing on investing is probably more powerful than earning more income, right? And so the first step is saving up $25,000 a year of runway. Once you get to that point, you have breathing room. You're no longer, your boss no longer has day-to-day power over you. You could take another job that pays less or it has bigger upside. You can make an investment. You can buy a home, right? All those options become available to you. The way I parlayed that first year of runway after my first year of savings was I bought a house hack. And because I had a, a high savings rate, I was able to take a chance on this startup for lower pay, but more opportunity downstream, right? That's one way to do it. I think that that's a, that's a viable framework that other people can repeat, although not everybody can join a three-person startup that you know, 25, it was 25 fold in, in six years. Yeah. Right? So, you know, obviously there's, there's like, but, but that, that's a spectrum there. And I got, I got very lucky with that choice. Um, but I think that that's a, a powerful opportunity. Okay. So great. Once you get to the first year of runway or 25, 30, $40,000, whatever that year of runway is for you, the next step is getting to that six figure mark. In my opinion, that's, I think it's a good milestone. So how do you do that? Well, you can save your way there, but that's pretty slow and inefficient. You need to layer in investing and uh, something that can drive that forward, something on the income generation front. I like jobs that have sizable income upside. So what's a job with sizable income upside? Well, becoming a real estate agent is an example of what, right? You can't become a real estate agent if you have no savings and you spend $3,000 a month. You can try your hand at real estate, being a real estate agent if you have $25,000 in savings and that's going to last you 10 months. Right, that that's a reasonable position to try that from. Some you know what your upside is as a financial analyst. Fifty fifty thousand dollars a year. Next year I'll make fifty four. Next year I'll make sixty. You know, but with with a scalable career like at a startup or at a uh, at a sales profession or something that has the potential to really upsize income or so even something that's 
in your field, but has a $40,000 base, but 80,000 bonus, right? All these different options become apparent to you with that first year of runway. And so seize one and drive your income forward. Take control of your income, I think is step two. And then I also love the idea of at least considering house hacking because of its power to reduce your housing expense down to zero and begin driving financial return. And uh, I have a question before we get into what house hacking really is, and I want you to break that down as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned get that first year of savings, right? And, and I, wanted, I want you to clarify what that means to you, because I think sometimes you might hear savings and you might be like, is that me keeping it in my checking account? Is that me putting in a savings account? in bonds, a CD, or is that me investing that 25? Like, what would you say savings is and what would you recommend? That's a great question. All right. So here's how I'd attack that question. If you are saving, if you're making $50,000 a year and you're spending $25,000 a year, that's 2000 a month, right? That, that, that's, that's how I was living, right? You need less cash, less savings in the bank because your savings rate is so high, paradoxically. Mm-hmm. In spite of the fact, because you can build so much uh, savings so quickly, you don't need as high of a stockpile. So what I did, which is really aggressive, and I don't know if I'd recommend this to everybody, but I started out and I was like, I'm going to save up $25,000 come hell or high water, and I'm going to keep going after it. And so I stocked away $25,000, but I put it into index funds, mm-hmm. mostly. I had like a couple thousand in my bank account, but I, I put my reserve into index funds, knowing that I could lose half of it if the market yeah. tanked. But that was my aggression. I don't know if I'd recommend that. That would be someone else's risk tolerance. But you know who can do that is the guy who's saving at a high rate. You know who can't do that is the person that saves 200 bucks a month on their $80,000 a year salary and has $2,000 you know, half a month's expenses in the, in the bank account, right? They can never afford to invest their emergency reserve there. Okay, so, so that's cool. I wanted to go clarify that because I think sometimes like it's, it's different to think about like 25K that you have to just have and that's what your saving account says versus 25 that kind of builds as you put it in the index funds. And, you know, you do have that high risk of the market crashing or you just not being able to access it in the time that you need. So mm-hmm. I think just it's nuanced. It's a nuanced decision. So, yeah. How do I how do I how do I do it at the time? I don't know if I had this framework completely nailed down when I was doing it, but I, I probably had like five or six thousand in my bank account at any time and the rest in my after tax brokerage, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, in, in index funds or stocks. And uh, I guess you might as well, before we get into the house hack, where would you, how would you break down what index funds are for the person that may not be uh, fully aware of what that is? Sure. So uh, um, an index fund is a composite of the entire real, uh, stock market. So instead of trying to pick whether Apple's going to be the next best stock or um, uh, Amazon or Facebook, you're, you're instead buying the entire index and getting, saying, you know what, I, I can't pick any returns. I'm just going to get the average of whatever the market produces. Gotcha. Okay, so like the basically like average in a way, yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. And then uh, let's go back to your story of uh, your first big endeavor in real estate was house hacking. Now, what is house hacking and how can that actually benefit you? Yeah, so what I did was I said, okay, my biggest expense is rent. How do I eliminate that? So I, what I did is I bought a duplex in downtown Denver. Um, it was a two, two bed, one bath, two units duplex, dumpy little property. Um, I fixed it up, painted up the cabinets, you know, fixed up some wall, uh, holes in the walls, hired a plumber to do a, a fairly major, for me, it was $3,000 rehab project at the time, um, and, 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 uh, basically make it rent ready. And so when that was completed, uh, the other side rented for 1150 and 
a roommate paid $550. So that's $1,700 in total rent. And my mortgage expense, including principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, was $1,550. So to put these all together, I put down $12,000 or 5% using a low down payment owner occupant loan, mm-hmm. bought the duplex, and, began, and instead of paying $650 a month in rent and utilities, I began basically living for free. And I probably didn't quite live for free. I, I was, you know, if you did that math, $1,700 minus 1550 is 150 net. But I also had maintenance and other expenses yeah. that went into it. So I probably didn't quite live for free, but I certainly came out way ahead of my renting situation prior to that. And, and I still own that duplex today. I bought it for $240,000 and I just got it appraised for $450,000 uh, last week. Uh, and I'm going to refinance it. So uh, it's been a huge winner. And I believe it will rent. I, I just remodeled it, which is why I got it reappraised. Um, uh-huh. And I believe it will now rent for $1,800 a piece. That's crazy. And I think I got to spend a little bit more time on that. I know we have uh, some other stuff to talk about, but I think the, the concept of house hacking was also one thing that I didn't even, I had never heard about in my life till I read your book. And I think mm-hmm. it's such an amazing plan, right? But do you also feel that it's applicable everywhere? Because for it to work, you need to be able to buy a spot that you can afford, but people also want to live there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the tricky part. And you're willing to live with people. So were you living with strangers? Were you living with people? No, I was living with a really good friend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So that um, was. Yeah. So I was living with a really good friend and then the neighbors, you know, it's like, it's like, have you ever lived in an apartment complex or a, a townhome? You know, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. So the neighbors are there. They're, I'm the landlord, but like, it's, it's I don't, <laughs> I didn't see them that much. They were fine. They were nice people. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a spectrum on the house hacking side. It's, it's, it can be harder to achieve really good results, like where more than cut co- the rents, more than cover the mortgage in a place like a San Francisco or a New York, I think. Exactly. And, and from day one, uh, it can be much easier than Denver in many other cities, though. So it's a spectrum of those. But if you compare it to either renting or buying a home that does not afford you the opportunity to house hack, uh, house hacking is generally a much better option financially uh, if you're willing to put up with some of that. Because like, exactly. think about it. I, I could have bought a home for $240,000 and not had tenants and just paid a 1550 mortgage, right? It's so, like exactly. clearly, the, even, if, even if the mortgage was $2,000, I'm getting $1,500. Um, I'm at least offsetting my mortgage by $1,500 in a way that the homeowner who's buying this uh, equivalent property is not, right? Okay. So think about, there's no way there's no way that I would have been able to generate the, my current financial position if I had bought a house for two or a condo for $240,000 and lived in it as a resident rather than house hacking. I would be, I would be hundreds of thousands of dollars worse off by doing that. It's, it's, an un, it's an unfair advantage in your wealth building journey if you're willing to do it and why a middle-class person who buys a house versus a middle-class person who house hacks, the wealth profile will be millions of dollars different over the course of a lifetime because they will never, it'll take a decade for that one one person to get started meaningfully investing while the house hacker is investing right then building equity and not paying rent and and throwing that all into the next investment. So cool. Yeah. I wanted to mention that because I think uh, like everything in life, it's a, it's a nuanced decision. It's kind of like, okay, I'm willing to get this house tech, but I understand I'm going to be living with people. I may or may not know them that well. And, you know, I just have to 
do that, but there's a reason for it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us, when we think about our first house, our first property, it's kind of like, I'm going to have my own place. It's going to be dope. I'm going to have it decked out. But you saw it as an as a investment, as an actual, like, I want to do this so I can actually not pay as much. So I think I just want people to understand that and understand the, the value of the house act, but also the, the, the decisions that come with it. So I think you, you broke that down pretty well. Absolutely. And just on that point, I think there's a holistic set of decisions, though, that are being made in that, right? Because I, I totally get it. And now I live in my own place, a, rent, a place I rent. Yeah. I'm not, I don't own, I rent oh. it. After, after seven or eight years of house hacking, my house hacking portfolio can help me pay for my rent. And so I can, I can actually live the nice lifestyle that we all want with, with, as a result of that. But now I'm doing it with passive income, right? And right. So, so the difference, I think, is is we all want that. That's, that's, exa- that's the end goal for everybody. Even uh, Craig Curlop, who is a buddy of mine, who I, I think I saw join this, uh, this, this live stream a while ago, right? Uh, wants that. And, but, but the idea is you live frugally and get ahead for five, six, seven years. And then the rest of your life, you're always in the position of dominance as it relates to your profession, your career, your employer, those types of things in the sense that you, you, are, you can fund your housing expense with your passive income or your portfolio. And so that for me, that was the choice, right? So it wasn't, it was like, if I, it's not a, it's a sacrifice one way or the other. Am I willing to sacrifice all these years of lack of control or am I willing to sacrifice my lifestyle conditions for a few short years up front? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I like that. I think, um, you know, being able to delay gratification is always, uh, it's a Mm -hmm. a hard thing to do, but, you know, I think you're a living example of just uh, the benefits of that. And kind of going back to this set myself up, you know, set for life is the name of your book. You were kind of getting into the different, I guess, maybe pillars that you recommend. I think you're on the second or third one. You want to continue there? Oh, yeah. So, well, I guess three steps, right? Three stages of wealth creation. So the first being a year of financial runway. The second being maybe that $100,000 in net worth mark. The way you get to the first one is through frugality, savings, grinding away, and just accumulating the money, right? The second one is I think you layer in income production and use your savings and your low-cost lifestyle to take a job with upside or start a business or house hack or whatever it is that can help you accelerate that journey. You can also just grind your way to $100,000 in savings like a lot of people do. Um, then the last step there is financial freedom, getting from $100,000 to to whatever wealth level you desire, right? And that's where you continue grinding it out. You, you continue to spend little, you continue to increase your income and the gap between your income and expenses, right? And, you're, and you, you begin deploying the capital that you're com- accumulating in a consistent investment approach. Uh, in, in, in my opinion for that is I invest with a indefinite or forever time horizon, right? So I'm, I'm looking, I, I just dump all my money into index funds, except for that which I reserve for real estate investments. So I'm, I have a dual approach to buying long-term index funds that I'm going to hold for the rest of my life, and then real estate investments that I'm going to buy periodically about once every year. It's actually been about a year and a half since I've transacted in real estate. Actually, that's not true. I invested in a syndication so last year oh, instead okay. of my, uh, instead of a, a uh, direct ownership here in Denver. Um, but, you know, I deployed money into real estate and index funds basically on a consistent basis. Why those two? Because I believe the stock market index funds are going to give me the best risk-adjusted, totally passive, long-term returns that I can get. And that's my baseline um, in the stock market, in pr- publicly traded securities. And then I believe I can actually outperform that in real estate with more work um, as a, and as a, a diversified part of that 
that holistic portfolio. So there's a lot of ways to achieve financial freedom by deploying your, your excess cash flow. Uh, that's one of them. Uh, that, that's my approach. That makes sense. And uh, I have another question I want to ask real quick, but I also saw some questions coming in. Uh, just as a rem reminder, guys, you guys can just submit some questions via that little question box, and I'll try to bring it in uh, when, it, when it fits. But uh, one question I had for you was this idea of financial freedom. And I think with the word financial, you obviously think of money, and it's kind of like, would you say that your goal is to be wealthy, or is that more of like, I want to make sure that I'm okay financially so I can do this? Like, how do you, how do you get, put yourself in a position where you're like, oh, I got to get this property, I got to get that property? Like, because at, at some point you're going to get burnt out because how can you scale to that much of that many houses, right? But where do you feel like your goal is and your why of why you're even doing this whole save my money stuff? I, so I, I'll tell you what, I'm struggling with this right now, right? Because the goal, the goal for me was financial freedom. It was how do I get to a point where my passively generated income is in excess of my lifestyle expenses so that I am in complete command of my financial position or technically able to retire for the rest of my life and never have to work again, right? And I achieved that. And so, like, what am I doing now? I'm, I'm the CEO of Bigger Pockets. I'm earning hey, more money hey, than I've ever I made. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm just piling it up. And I'm piling it up in, into index funds. And I'm piling it up into real estate. I have a, a big investment in, in Bigger Pockets now, um, you know, that, that as a business that I invest in. And so, like, what am I, what's the point? Yeah. I don't know. I, it, it, I just love what I do now. And I'm in total, total command. And it's like, why not continue fortifying my position so that I can have more control over my life, live my best life and, and go from there. But it's not really like an aggressive accumulation of wealth anymore. Mm -hmm. We dangle this carrot in front of everybody like, hey, financial freedom is about retiring early and playing video games or drinking margaritas on the beach or whatever. That's not what it is. What people do when they achieve financial freedom is they work harder than ever, but they're in they do it because not because they, they need to. the money anymore, but because they like it and they want to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the money. It's about these people then go on to change the world in unique and creative ways once they get there, right? Yeah. And that's what makes me excited about what I do at Bigger Pockets. It also happens to make even more money, and which I'm <laughs> which I'm now just plowing into more investments, right? Why not? Yeah. That's what I know how to do. So I, I I assume that that will you know if things continue result in me building a very large personal net worth over the next 10, 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. um, and that's great. I don't know if I'll ever spend it. Maybe I'll give it away. Maybe I'll figure it out. Right now, I'm focused on bigger pockets, and I just apply the excess funds to my personal portfolio. So, how's that for an answer to it? It's it's about no. getting that PowerPoint, and then once you get past it, it's a new ball game. You're not you're not struggling to get by. You're just it's exactly. just it's the I love power it. of your life. Yeah, no, I love it because I think that's something that I had to really understand, kind of when I started that full time job. I think I don't know I don't know what it is, but growing up, maybe whatever you consume in terms of culture or content. It just seems like making money is the thing, right? And then when you mm -hmm. start making it or when you're trying to make it and you, you get to what you thought was your goal, you realize you still have a whole life to live. You know what I'm saying? So I think I just always want people to keep, keep asking yourself, what is your why? Do you feel like you're doing it? And then re constantly reevaluate. And for the people that aren't watching, you know, this is also a podcast now. Find me on all podcasting platforms, Paul and Pals. Uh, Stacey Wu recommended a great book to read for finding out your why called start with why. So I just wanted to uh, put that in there. By Simon Sinek, right? Yeah. And then we uh, bring the question up um, from the boy Harney. I don't think I can read it all, but uh, he said, with residential real estate at an all-time high in terms of value and number of new homeowners and the uncertain economy, let me see. 
what's your advice on people looking to, I assume, um, get into real estate or purchase real estate? Great question. So, so look, if my, my approach to real estate investing is this. I buy duplexes, triplexes, and quadplex and other residential real estate here in Denver, Colorado. And I believe that if I hold that property for 30 years, it's going to be worth much more than it is today. Over the course of that 30 years, I'm going to be holding that prop, buying and holding property pretty consistently. I know I'm going to be in for a wild ride and a devastating downturn where prices fall and rents fall at some point during that hold. I'll probably be investing for more than 30 years, 50, 60, 70 years, right? Mm. So at some point, I may go through a big recession, a depression. I have no idea. But my strategy calls for buying consistently. And I firmly believe that even if I buy at the top of the market today and it crashes tomorrow, that in 30 years, I'll be better off and I won't really know the difference about it. As long as I'm capitalized conservatively, putting aside plenty of cash in my reserve profile, cash flowing the property uh, so that it generates more income than, than expenses, and including accruals for vacancy and um, uh, capital expenses and those types of things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so the answer is for me, it doesn't, the, the current economic uncertainty does not change my approach at all. I'm still holding my properties. And while I'm not buying right now, I'm refinancing, which is the same effect. I'm going to pull a bunch of cash out, which is me levering more up in real estate. And I'll probably deploy that again in a, in a few months into another real estate investment. So I, I'm continuing my approach, which is consistent, but not aggressive, uh, investing in, in, in Denver, Colorado. And I believe it's a, it's a long-term winner, even though I, and, and I have 100% baked in emotionally and into my, my planning that I'm going to experience that recessionary environment and drop in prices and drop in values. Now, as to the, is it going to happen next week? I have no idea, right? One, COVID and the economy could collapse, right? And, and we, could, we, could, we could have only ridden the first wave and we're about to see a huge reduction in prices. Or, or the government's going to continue injecting money into the economy in which case a large amount of inflation is going to occur, which is the best friend of a real estate investor. So it could be, it could be a really, really good time to buy real estate where it's, it's about to inflate. It could be a really, really bad time to invest in real estate where prices are about to plummet, or it could be a moderate time. <laughs> so how's that, how's that for a complete cop-out answer? But yeah. the answer is if, if your strategy depends on property values going up tomorrow after you buy it, you've got a bad strategy and you need to change that and, and create a winning approach that works in every market. And I think uh, one, one good point that I got from that is um, your plan, right? So I think one thing that you have a good example of, you can't be reactionary to the market unless that's, that's your thing. If you're like trading options and you're trading and selling, you know, that makes sense that you're, you're tuned in. But it seems like if you want to approach real estate, if you want to do this long-term savings, you have to be in it for the long haul. You have to be in it knowing I might lose money. You know what I'm saying? So I think I want people to also... Um, understand that that whole aspect of it. it's not a, it's not a i'm gonna be rich tomorrow next week or next year it's a i see it long term right I, I think that's absolutely right i think i think for my approach if i react to market conditions i'm gonna get hosed some people may actually want to invest and change their approach according to market cycles and do all those kinds of things mm -hmm. so we get, okay cool and uh, another thing was, I want to also touch on bigger pockets money a little bit because we're getting a little bit more into just financial advice as a whole. And before we get into that, you keep mentioning 30 years, you keep mentioning long term, you keep mentioning investing for later. Now, what do you see? Like, how do you even see that working out? So I have, let's say you have all this money in your portfolio and you're investing it for 20, 30 years, it grows, it's millions of dollars, right? Do you like what? 
what would you think is next for you? Like, do you start taking it out or like, how would you approach that? Well, so this is an interesting paradox, right? So that we've got here. So if, if I, if I set a firm date and, and optimize for that, right? So suppose I buy a lot of cash flowing properties, pay them off in cash, and I'm looking for that 10,000 a month in cash flow. That's my retirement number, right? Well, and I buy them in a, in a market, let's call it like um, Indianapolis, right? Indianapolis is not an appreciating market. Most people would say it's a cash flowing market for real estate investing, right? Or, or I invest in a Denver, right? Um, which one is going to get me more cash flow in 10 years, right? Well, paradoxically, I believe that the investment in Denver in an appreciating market where I've got X amount of cash flow right now is actually going to produce more cash flow in 10 years, but it's a bet on appreciation. So if I don't need the money, if I'm not going to spend it, if I'm not going to retire next week, I'll actually get there paradoxically faster, I think, by investing in the growth and long, with a very, very long-term outlook and knowing that I could get hosed. In the, in the, if I'm making, I make all of my decisions with the optimal long-term mathematical bet in mind, and that happens to more often than not exactly. result in advanced progress towards my goal of financial freedom in the short run, right? Mm -hmm. I plan on it taking 30 years, but in reality, it takes seven or eight because the market has boomed the last this last seven or ten years, right? It could that could change next time, but how can you predict the market with those types of things? I don't know. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not. I don't know if I'm answering your your BP money question, but that's that's is that that's where I'm kind of thinking about yeah. my long term approach and how that also ties in with the concept of financial freedom as soon as possible. Yeah. No, I brought up BP that's money because I wanted to kind of get into that because I think. Uh, it's it's more than real estate, you know. When you're thinking about financial advice, it's it's a whole like spectrum. And I think like the reason I asked you about the long term is that you know if you have all these properties and they're cash flowing, technically you would argue, well, why would you have to put money out if they're if they're bringing in enough money for you to just live as you've been living? So I wanted to understand oh, um, your reasoning for that. It's because it's inefficient. So it, it, it's a concept called return on equity. If I own a $100,000 property all in cash and it appreciates 3%, I get a 3% return. Mm -hmm. If I own a $100,000 property with $20,000 down and $80,000 in leverage um, with my, my loan and the property appreciates 3%, I've now earned a um, uh, 3,000 $3, return on $20,000, which is a 15% return, right? So just because I'm, I'm and, and I'm in a situation, so, I mean, look, Personally, if I was retired and not generating income from any other source, I might have a different approach. I might take my portfolio, which is right now optimized for the long term, and change that so that it produced more stable and less volatile income that I could draw down on. But I'm working right now. So I've optimized my portfolio for the long term. I will continue to optimize it for the long term because that's efficient. Why wouldn't I? I don't need the money and it will be a bigger pile downstream. It's not that much more work. I'm still well capitalized. I can invest yep. in other things right now. And I've got a, a, an income from my job to more than cover my, my lifestyle expenses and allow me to continue investing on top of that. Is that, is that helpful? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, want, I was trying to understand that. And uh, I do want to touch on bigger pockets money. I know we're kind of nearing our hour here, but I want to, I want to kind of have you um, explain what bigger pockets money is and then why you guys started that as a supplement to bigger pockets as a whole. Yeah, so you know, a lot of um, at, at when we started Bigger Pockets Money, Mindy and I were a little concerned because there was a lot of uh, investors out there who were looking, I think, to get started in real estate without 
savings and without good credit and without stable income. And real estate investing is a lot easier and a lot more practical to access. And in my opinion, a lot less risky when you can put a down payment down, have good credit and have stable income that a lender can lend against. And so while it is possible to invest in real estate with no and low money down, and we have success stories, Mindy and I feel like the better approach is to help people get into a position where they can generate a really good financial fortress from which to begin investing in assets like real estate investing. Many of our bigger pockets money listeners don't invest in real estate, and that's totally fine. But they all should be building, I think, or, or if you're listening to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, you're probably going to, over time, develop a position that is at least capable of investing in real estate or long-term stock investments or other assets that you're interested in, in, in accumulating because you're going to spend less than you earn and build up your, 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 your financial position. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I wanted to address that because I think when I, when I think of real estate, and you were kind of saying that earlier, it's a very middle class, or at least you need to have some type of money to get involved, right? So if you don't understand money, if you don't know how to utilize it, you, you can't just jump to that, right? So I think the fact that you guys are focusing on just financial literacy as a whole, which is something that I think should be a part of, you know, just curriculum as a whole, which is, it's not right now, but I think that's, that's a very great place to start. So I just wanted to plug uh, bigger pockets money podcast if you guys are looking for any financial resource i think it definitely serves that purpose yeah and and thank you by the way for two of the commenters who who seem to like bigger pockets money <laughs> i appreciate really it, like it. <laughs> I, I i can't i can't uh, pronounce pronounce your name l a lot of pen dramia and but stacy yes thank you stacy i can pronounce your name yeah yeah okay cool and uh, uh, we're, we're kind of nearing towards the end. Um, and one thing I wanted to do before I kind of ask you, you know, words of advice is um, the very kind of source of your, your, your change in mentality when it came to financial literacy was this whole, I don't want to work for somebody. I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. And I want to ask you about that, this, this sense of like, people should do this because they hate their jobs, Right. And I want to, I want you to address that. Do you think that's really why you should switch it? Or is it more you want control? Because I think I know people that like their job, right? But it might not put them in this position of this financial freedom that you speak of. So how do you approach that for somebody that just, they don't want to do all this, but you know, they still need to get financially, financially free. It's a spectrum. I wanted to be financially free so bad that I was willing to do whatever it took to become financially free. So I, I look, maybe not everybody is willing to do that, right? But I think everybody should at least c- consider the concept of building wealth and working toward financial freedom. If that's over a 20-year period and they want to do it more slowly and more methodically while working a job that they like, that's fine. I think if you hate your job, that's a totally valid reason to pursue financial freedom. And I love that as a motivator. You know, look, we don't like like if if all this does is get people out of jobs they hate and into jobs that they like or even just out of jobs that they hate and able to, to not have to work, that's a wonderful outcome. But again, what's more powerful about it and what should motivate more people, I think, is not only will it get you out of that job you hate, but it will get you into a position of control to dictate the terms of your career. And you can go on and make a massive impact on society in a way that is not dictated by your boss, red tape, or any other organization. You're going to go mm-hmm. figure that out. If you have the hustle and determination and intelligence and grit and discipline to do chief financial freedom at early age, you're going to go on and make some sort of contribution, not going to just rest and, and play video games all day. Right. Let's make the world a better place, man. And uh, you, you dropped a lot of gems uh, throughout the interview, a lot of stuff that I think people should definitely watch it back for, listen back for. Uh, but uh, what I always like to do to wrap up 
the episode is I want to ask you, based on your experience, where you are in life right now, maybe what you got planned, what are some words of advice you would like to just share with the audience that you feel has made you who you are today? Yeah, I, I would say goal setting, right? So it's a, it, it, I think a lot of life happens to people because they don't have a clear vision of where they want to go and what they want and how they're going to get there. And so I would say write down, even if you're not sure what exactly that is, what you want, how you're going to get there at a high level, and then set annual, quarterly, weekly, daily goals and move towards them every single day and, and, uh, and, and track towards them. Also, I'm getting requests for a joke. Yeah, um, man. I, I know you. I know that you relish them, but I don't have any pickle jokes today, guys. I'm sorry. Oh man, you yeah. bad jokes, sir. I'm gonna so, cut this out of the podcast. That was bad. Everyone's gonna be salty about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was uh. bad. No, but, uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And just for a background, if you guys don't know, if you listen to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, uh, God just always has uh, a joke that you I, may or may not laugh at, but you'll you might appreciate. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so but um once again uh scott i do want to thank you for coming on to the paul and pals podcast i appreciate all the knowledge you've definitely given us and i also want to remind everybody about the um raffle prize so once again you'll be giving away two uh prizes you know one is going to be the set for life book that he kind of broke down the uh i guess the summary of it and then we'll also be giving away a one-year membership to bigger pockets pro that's right, right. and mm-hmm. um to basically get, I'm going to actually post the questions. So make sure you guys follow Paul and Pals on Instagram. I'm actually going to post the questions tomorrow night. I'm going to post five questions. You have to answer at least four out of five correct to be entered. And for the people that are really smart and take notes and answer five out of five, right? I will actually post, um, you actually get two entries, but all the questions are based off of the episode content. So I hope you guys have been paying attention. As it might be, I got to make these questions a little bit trickier because, you know, you're on Google and stuff. So they might know the basic stuff. So mm. I'm going to have to listen back and see where you really said like one line that I might, they might not catch. So, but once again, <laughs> I, I do want to thank you for um, coming on. If you have any last words, anything you want to plug, please uh, feel free. No, I, 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 I uh, normally don't like to plug it that much, but you plugged a lot for Bigger Pockets and Set for Life today. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah, you can find me on Bigger Pockets or here on Instagram um, uh, if you want to connect. I'll okay. I'll get a little bit more active on Instagram following this. So yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> I, you I haven't really done much lately, but um, I need to. So appreciate it. But now, nah, thank you so much. I'm gonna let you go, and I'm gonna wrap it up with the audience. And uh, let's uh, drop some pony emojis, applause emoji, whatever y'all want to drop uh, for Scott Trent. Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed this creative conversation, I would appreciate if you did at least one of the following three things: one, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And feel free to leave me a rating and a review too if you have the time. Two, follow at Paul and Pals on your social media of choice, but ideally Instagram, so you can tune in live every other Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern to participate in the conversation and potentially win a raffle prize. Three, share the word. People tend to take the referral of a friend or family member seriously, so if you know of a friend or a family member that would also enjoy these creative conversations, send them a link to an episode. Lastly, if you're interested in coming on the show to share your story, please feel free to reach out to me via social media or send me an email at paul, that's P-O-L, at paulandpals.live. And who knows, you might just be the next pal that I interview. But without any further ado, remember to stay creative. Stay creative.